like these types of microphones anyway. I always feel when I'm talking to people after church that I'm in a boy band or something like that, or I don't, I don't know. But good morning, everyone. I, what a great song as we consider overflow and the 10,000 reasons that we have to, uh, or more, to uh, be um, thankful. Um, this morning, we continue that study, and as always, a reminder about the, uh, the yellow or the gold insert in your service folder. If uh, you would like to take that out at this time, I think it could be helpful in uh, keeping your attention and also your focus as we study God's Word together. You know, um, there are both blessings and also challenges when you've been married to someone for a long time. One of the blessings in being married to someone for a long time is that they really get to know you, and they know what you're thinking, and they know how you're feeling. Um, one of the challenges of being married to someone for a while is that they really get to know you, and they know what you're thinking, and they know what you're feeling, and at times it's hard to get anything past them because of that fact. Not that we should be getting things past them anyway. I shared a sto this story in a Bible class a few years ago, and I thought I'd, I'd share it again. But a few years ago, um, I was running a little behind and getting Carrie her Christmas gift. And uh, I know today I can just, you know, just be totally honest. Statutes of limitations have run out. It was a long time ago. And I saw, I'll just be honest, that it wasn't just that I hadn't gotten it. Um, I hadn't really put a lot of thought into the gift either. Um, I hadn't been listening to the clues and asking the right questions and all those sorts of things. So Christmas is a few days away, and, and I do what no man should ever do. I, I go to the mall without knowing at all what I'm going to buy. And, and I go without a plan. The, here's the plan. Walk around the mall until you see something she might like, all right? And so I'm walking at least twice, and this was in the time, you know, I don't know, five, seven, eight years ago when Bath and Body Works was kind of at the all-time popularity. So um, at Bath and, Bath and Body Works, there was this pre-packaged, you know, basket of lotions and other scenty things, you know. A and so I decided on that. And because I was feeling a little bit um, guilty that I hadn't you know, given it as much thought as I normally do. I compensated by spending a little more than I normally do, which isn't much in the first place, but it was more. It was more than I normally do, and I bought so the bigger basket of lotions and scenty things, okay? So I gave that to Carrie at, at Christmas, and as any of you know, Carrie, she responded very politely and kindly and, and said thank you, but as the evening went on, I kind of noticed something wasn't quite right. And so I poked and prodded a little bit, and, you know, it kind of finally came out. Remember when I said when you've been married to someone for a while, it's hard to get anything past them. They know what you're thinking and feeling. And she had her suspicions that I hadn't given this gift a lot of thought. And my response was, you know, I, I gave it some thought. You know, at least that two-lap-around-the-mall thought, you know, and things. But the reality was, and a lesson that I learned out of that, is that, and you might find this too with your loved ones, that really when it comes to giving a gift, it's not even really about how expensive it is or how much was spent. That sometimes can be nice too and show a certain amount of love. But if there's a, an expensive gift without the heart attached, if there's an expensive gift without, you know, any thought put into it, it just doesn't mean a whole lot at all that gifts more than anything are about the heart. Now, 
we're in this series called Overflow, and, and I'm going to get back to where that comes in in just a moment. But before we do, back to last week, because some of you weren't here. Um, last week we spent the entire time just sort of setting the foundation that these words are for you and for me. Because actually, Paul wrote these words for only a certain group of people. And the group of people that these words were for were only for rich people. Only people who live in the overflow of God's blessing. And I think most of us spend our life always wanting to be rich, but never thinking that we are rich. And so we looked at a biblical definition of what it means to be rich. And here's what we found it meant. First, we looked at this. If I have food and clothing, I'm blessed and should be content. If I just have enough to get me through the day, a pair of clothes, some clothes, and the food for the day, to be content and to feel blessed. So where does rich come in? Well, if I have anything more than that, if I have more than what I need, even if it's not everything that I want, if I have more than what I need, then biblically, according to Paul's writing to Timothy, we live in an overflow. We're rich. I thought I'd just kind of tease that out a little bit with some rich people questions, okay? So um, a, uh, a person who's blessed is concerned about the place they live. Rich people ask these questions. What neighborhood is the house in and how much is the square footage? Those aren't wrong questions, but I'm telling you, those are overflow questions. Those are questions that people who live in an overflow, blessings from God, rejoice in it, but those are rich people questions. Um, a blessed question is, you know, what am I going to wear today? A rich person question asks, well, and how does it fit, and is it stylish or not? Those are rich people questions, and I ask them at times. Um, you ask them. I'm just saying, you're rich. You have more than you need because you ask those questions. A blessed person question is, do I have food to eat today? A rich person question is, does it taste good? Do I like it? How many calories? Those are rich people questions, and we are blessed, 99% of us, to be able to ask those questions. So what happens when you live in an overflow is that our hope and our security can move from on God to the wealth that we have or we're trying to build up. And so today, Paul goes on in verse 18 to help direct us in how to have an attitude that is more thankful and what sorts of things we should think about to, to keep our focus and our heart and security on God and not on the things that we have. So we're in uh, the verse 18 now. Last week we looked at verse 17. And Paul continues, Command them, that is, people who are rich, people who live in an overflow, command them to do good. Not to be good, that's true too, but here to do good and to be rich in good deeds. Essentially what Paul is saying is if you're someone who has more than what you need, one of the things that God wants you to do is to use that time that you have as someone who's rich and to do good things for other people. 
And notice, not just like an average person would. He says to be rich, that is to be above average in giving of your time, of, of serving other people. And that could be at church, that could be in your neighborhood, that could be that person at work that you know is going through a hard time, but it seems like you never quite have enough time yourself to, to help them or to give them that encouraging word or email or letter or whatever it might be. I think it's the last four months or so that more than any other time in my ministry, um, I hear more people, more than any time before, talking about how they have no time. And can I just tease that out for a moment about not having time? Um, and we had a whole series about this last year, but I think this is so important. It's not that we don't have time. In fact, we have an overflow of time. For instance, in some cultures, if you want food for seven days, you need to work for seven days. We live in a culture, and I know this is just a given, but I want you to know it's a blessing. Most of us only have to work five days, and we have enough food and enough money for home for seven days. And there's two whole days called the weekend that we don't have to work. Or some of you are blessed to be in jobs where there are... Um, two weeks, three weeks, some of you even up to five weeks of vacation every year where you get paid and you don't have to go into work. And you have all this extra time. But what happens is we first, by nature, try to think about how do we use that time for ourselves and for our families. In fact, I think as you get richer materially, this becomes even more of a hard thing to keep in mind. Because when you have more money, you have more options. And so what do I use this extra time for? There's so much I could do. We could go to the movies, or we could go to the concert, or we could go to the zoo, or a third sport, or we could go to the Vikings game, or we could go to Mall of America, or we could go on an MEA week getaway, or we could go to the cabin by the lake. And, and hear me when I say None of those things are wrong, and there are people in our church that do some of all of those things. The point is not that they're wrong. The point is, it's not that we don't have time. We've just decided to use it. In fact, if you work 60 hours a week, which I think is a little bit on the high end, but I know that some of you work that many hours a week, and let's say you sleep eight hours a day, which I also think is probably a little bit on the high end, in your average week, seven days, just a normal week, you have 52 hours to decide what to do with. Paul says, people who live in an overflow, one of the ways to keep your focus on the blessing of God is to be generous. And where does time to be rich in good deeds towards other people that don't live at your home? Your children are not the other people in this case. How do you serve other people with your time? And is it even on the schedule? Plan to be generous with the time that God has given. And what happens is that our focus comes off of our stuff and off of me and starts to be on other people. And some of the most rewarding things you could ever do has to do with how you help and serve others. You've gone to movies and thought, that was a waste of three hours or two hours, right? 
I doubt you've ever truly helped someone and thought, you know what, I just wasted my time. It doesn't happen. God says, rich people, yes, Lord, we're them. Be rich in the way you use the time I've given. Be rich in good deeds. He continues with more generosity. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and then also to be generous in another way. So what way is he talking about here? Well, he continues, and willing to share. So generosity in the material things that we've been given. Be generous with our time. Plan for generosity. That might mean taking out your schedule and making sure there is service time in there, whether that be, again, at church in the neighborhood, with that friend at work, or even your enemy at work <laughs> that needs help. And then to be generous the material things we've been given. That's what rich people do. They're generous. So at what point are you generous? What's the line from not generous to generous? How many zeros need to be behind the number in order for that to be considered generous in God's eye? Well, the cool thing is that God kind of gives us an answer to that question. And to find that answer, um, we turn back to Mark chapter 12 as Jesus has this opportunity to speak with his 12 disciples and he's teaching them about generosity. So Jesus and his disciples are coming to the temple and uh, we read in ver the first verse of this section, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and they watched the crowd putting their money in the temple treasury. So uh, kind of to relate this to, to us, um, at church in the 21st century, there's a plate that gets passed or a basket that gets passed for the offering back to the Lord. In the temple 2,000 years ago, when you'd walk into the building, there'd be a box or, or a basket there. A and Jesus does something that, you know, in some ways I think sounds a little bit nosy. He, he sets up camp right next to the offering box, and he tells his disciples to watch people. It's like, you know, when the offering plates go by, if I would stand up here and, you know, good job, Dane, and just kind of watch as, as the basket goes. That's kind of what Jesus is doing here, to be honest, because he wants to teach his disciples something. Verse 42, many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. If you grew up with the King James Version of the Bible, you know this account as the widow's mite. But in the Greek, it's really called not a penny or a mite, but a lepta, which all you really need to know is that this was the smallest currency available at that time. It's, it's like a penny. It's the type of currency that when you're walking and you see it on the ground, Unless your kids are with you, you probably just walk by because it's not, an, it's not worth enough of your energy to pick it up. I mean, it's worth, as it says, a fraction of a penny. And the widow takes these two leftas. She puts them in that box. Almost nothing. And here's what Jesus says. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put more. How does that work? It's worth less than a penny, has put more into the treasury than all the others. Like, like actually more. More than the guy who gave a thousand lepta? More than a guy who gives a thousand dollars? 
more than the family who cashes out their, their Apple stock and now are millionaires and give $20,000? I mean, 20000 to Lepta? More, God says. It was more. Why? How? Jesus continues. They gave out of their wealth. That is, they have much. But she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. Now, the direction here isn't that every Christian should go and give all of their money to others and to church and then take a vow of poverty. That's not the lesson Jesus was teaching. Here's the lesson he's teaching. Is that giving is not about the amount. That generosity is not about the amount of money that we give back to the Lord. I mean, think about it. How much does God need our money? And if God wanted our money, he would just take our money. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that before? It's not a needy God saying, gimme, gimme, gimme. It has nothing to do with that. What Jesus is trying to teach his disciples is it's not about the amount. Guess what it's about? Right here. About the heart. Jesus knew something that's still true today. That the number one competitor for first place in our hearts, the number one competitor to God for first place in our hearts is money and wealth. That is the thing that most of us struggle with as our biggest idol, money and wealth. And God wants you in heaven with him. And he doesn't want us to be so far from him that we fall away. And so he teaches about generosity. And in this section from Paul, he recognizes that rich people have even more of a tendency to put their trust in their things. Statistically, survey after survey says, the more that people have, the less they give. How does that work? Because when you have, you begin to put your hope in what you have. And God wants us to put our hope in him, and he wants our hearts. Now, I know that when pastors or churches talk about our financial resources and things, that it's, it can be weird, and we don't like to, to hear it, some of us. And some of you, I can totally understand, because maybe in a past church experience, because of course it wouldn't be here, um, you've had a bad experience with how a church or a pastor talked about financial resources. So I get it. But here's why it is not weird for your loving church and pastor to speak about finances. The reason is because Jesus did, and not just a little bit. Way over half of his parables were about how to use the things he's given. Not because he wants or needs your stuff. I mean, his stuff. It's because he understands the competitor for our hearts. So in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he shares these words that I think are even a little more insightful. He says, to us, no one can serve two masters. You can't live for two different people or two different things. Only one thing can be your master. Either a person will hate the one and love the other or will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And what is he talking about? You cannot serve both God and money. Now, we might have seasons of our life where we look back on it and we say, 
there, during that season, we've, I served money. My career choices, my family choices, I put money ahead of my spiritual life. So there might be seasons of our lives where we do that. But we either put God first or we put career and money first. You can't serve them both. You can have both, but we can only serve one. There can be Christian millionaires. It's okay. Be proud of that if God has blessed you or you know a Christian that's been blessed that way. It's nothing to be ashamed or bashful about. God has given it to you. The point is, who is it that you serve? And God doesn't want your wealth, our wealth to get us. He wants us. And he wants first place in our hearts. So, how do we work towards this type of generosity? The Bible gives us some direction to that. And um, before I share with you the passage I'm, re- I'm, gonna, I'm thinking of, I want to first go back to that Christmas gift account from the beginning. Um, so, one of the big things, or one of the reasons why my gift was not from my heart as much is because I didn't spend the time to think and decide and to pre-plan what I would be giving to my wife because that thinking, that planning, that's an indication of where our heart is, right? Listen to what Paul writes, and we read this earlier in 2 Corinthians 9. He writes, each person, each man, each person should give what he's decided in his heart to give. The Bible teaches, is, is perfectly connected to generosity that the way that a Christian gives, the way that a, a person should give back to others, back to God, is by taking the time to think and to plan. And when we do, then our hearts will be connected. Because guess what happens when you don't take the time to plan? It's like your schedule. There's nothing left. It's like every two weeks, let's say, you get paid, and, and, and by the time there's the mortgage and the utilities and this and that and this and that, Many of us are in the habit of then what's left. From that, we'll find out what we can give back to the Lord. Or maybe it's even, maybe it's even worse than that. It's getting to church and seeing what's left in the wallet, right? And I just want to ask a question. Or make, maybe make a statement. You and I, we do not have a leftovers type of God, do we? I know you know that. I know that even if you're not nodding your head, your heart is right there. We don't have a leftovers type of God. Can, can I talk about leftovers for a moment? So I brought in some leftovers. And uh, leftovers, um, obviously, at times when you don't want to cook lunch, can be great to have in the refrigerator, you know, leftovers from the night before. So leftovers sometimes can be good. But if you've ever had a honored guest over to your house, has this ever happened at all? I'm wondering. Um, your guest comes, happy to see you. You know, they came for dinner. I'm, you know, I'm really not sure what we're going to have. But let's go over to the fridge and let's kind of see, let's see what's in there and let's maybe find supper just 
you know, what I might have left over. So you open the fridge, and you know what? I think we're going to have, you know, some peas tonight and, you know, some leftover potatoes. We're so glad that you're here. And, you know, I, you know, I can't even remember what this is, but let's check. Ooh, ooh, kind of smelly, but, you know, you nuke it long enough, and, you know, it, it'll kill whatever's bad in there, and, you know, probably taste better than it does now. Um, you would never do that for a guest that you cared about. Leftovers are for us. The guest, it's better than leftovers. We don't have a leftovers God. Have we made sure in how we plan our time and our resources that God is not treated as leftovers? Let me tell you a little more about God. Every starting point semester that we get to this section that I'm going to share with you, it just still amazes me. So God created the world perfectly, no problems, no issues. And then Adam and Eve have one rule to show God their love. That is, don't eat from this one tree. Okay, just, just this one tree. <laughs> In almost no time at all, they end up eating from that one tree, disobeying the one law, just the one thing. And God the Father comes down from heaven and he sees this, and he doesn't act like I do when my kids disobey me, which is first going to anger over the top sometimes, but instead, his whole world has been messed up by sin, and before he gives them any punishment and doesn't even send them to hell, he first starts before that with a plan, with a promise. And he says, I have this plan because you are not leftover people to me. And I have this plan that I'm going to someday send my son. And he is going to crush the devil and he is going to be your savior. And if you look throughout the whole Bible, essentially, you could narrow it down to the Bible being just one thing. The account of God carrying out his plan. That's the whole Old Testament. God showing us how he was with his people, how he preserved them, how he gave them the promised land, and then ultimately how he led them to the point where he sent his son. And here's what Paul writes is sort of a commentary on the coming of Christ. He says, when the time had come. Now, it kind of sounds like God planned this out. Kind of, because he did. When the time had come, when the plan came to fruition, God's thought-out plan, because that's how much he loved us. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive the full rights of sons, that we might be called his children. And so Jesus came, he died, he rose, and we are benefited to receive that which we don't deserve, more than what we deserve. We get to be his children and to spend eternity with him in heaven. And not only that, as we've seen in the series, he overflows us with physical blessings too. So how do we plan to be generous? Last thing. How do we, very, very biblical thing. The Bible speaks about, this is just practical, biblical sort of direction. To think about your planning, to plan ahead and to think about it in terms of percentage. To think about it, and what percentage, all right? Where do we start? Maybe you've never even heard this before. Maybe you've never thought about this before. Where do you even start? 
well, I have a place you could start. So I did a little bit of, you know, figuring. Last week I shared that the median in household income in the Lakeville Farmington area is $90,000 a year. The national average or median is 50,000. So I went with the 50, okay? And so here's the thing. If every involved family at Bethlehem, if this is brand new to you and you haven't been doing this, if you would just start pre-planning and to give back in a generous way to the Lord and to others with 5%, Five, we would be able to easily make our budget and you'd have money left over to give to other people in need. That could be a place to start, an easy place to start. For me, ever since the day I was born practically, my parents taught me about tithing or giving back 10%. And so even with our kids, and, you know, they can tell you this, um, Ezra had a little bit of a lawn mowing job, you know, 10% went back to church, 10% went in a savings, you know, jar, and then he could use the rest at his discretion. Um, God speaks in the Old Testament about tithing, and I think that could be a great goal for us. And maybe some of you are already there. I'm sure you are. And the reason why it's a great goal, and, and, and even though it's not a command, is because God never changes, and so I think his direction for the Old Testament can be very clear for us today in the New Testament, too. Think about how many people you could help generously. I'm not even talking about church now. Think about how many people you could help and serve in the overflow of what God has given. If you would pre-plan to use 10% to help others. Think about what we could do together if some of that 10% came back to gospel ministry where we're helping people. I mean, what an amazing opportunity we would have. And guess what? You would be less like me, focused on finding our hope in our stuff. And through Paul's direction, find more joy in what we can do together. But it's not about the dollar. It's not about the amount. It starts right here with the heart. And God wants more than anything, not your money. He doesn't need your money. He wants our hearts and our devotion. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your amazing generosity, both spiritually and physically. And Lord, some of this direction from your word today might be brand new for some of us. I pray that uh, it made sense and that you would encourage them through your word and strengthen them. For some of us, uh, we've known this, but it's just been hard to do. Help move us um, to, to pre-plan as you direct. And for others of us, we've been doing this, and, and we just, you know, Lord, raise a prayer of thanks that you've given us um, that direction and, and also that encouragement spiritually that we have been giving back. Lord, as we consider uh, the future, we just continue to put uh, the future of our church and ministry in your hands and just overflow us that we might be generous in all that we do. Also, Lord, uh, this morning you called home to heaven our sister in the faith, Jane Jab. We thank you for the faith that you worked in her heart and, and rejoice in her home in heaven. We ask you especially right now to be with John as he uh, begins to uh, sort of uh, begins a new chapter of his life without his wife. 
help support him not only with your peace, but also with the loving Christians around him. In Jesus' name we pray this and continue by praying. Our Father, who art in heaven, 